We're good. You all made it in the snow. Oh, yeah. Um, so let's do this. Uh, let's all turn to First Samuel chapter 20. So take out your Bible. Go to First Samuel chapter 20. Uh, we're continuing David. This morning we're looking at Jonathan and David's friendship. Um, and looking at this, I know it's supposed to be about David, right, James? But there's just so much on Jonathan, it's hard not to uh, pull that. So we'll be looking a lot at him as well. Um, but ultimately, what we're looking at is we're looking at there's going to be three people in the story that we're looking at, and that's Saul, that's David, and that's Jonathan, right? So three people. But the friendship really here in this passage is between uh, Jonathan and David, and so we're looking at this idea of, of friendship, fellowship, um, togetherness one another, and ultimately, just the big overarching purpose of friendship. What's the purpose of relationship? What's the purpose of friendship? And so I'm going to give it to you right now, and I know this is just like the answer to the entire sermon, but that's okay. So you get something out of this if you lose me later, is that the purpose of friendship, the purpose of relationship is for the glory of God. That's it. It's simple. It's for the glory of God. Your relationships should be Christ-exalting, God-glorifying marriages, Christ-exalting friendships. That's the purpose, is that we together, togetherness, would make God look really good to the world and to each other. And there's hope rooted in that. There's encouragement rooted in that. There's love in that. There's all these things that we're going to look at this morning. So uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20 is the passage we're in, and I'll read this, so just... Need your minds to follow along and pay attention because it's 42 verses. Here we go. It says, Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. But David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself. For why should you bring to your father, bring me to your father? And Jonathan, Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father to, that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Come, let us go into the field. So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or third day, 
Behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan more so also if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. Do not cut off your steadfast love from your house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is a new moon and you will be missed, because your seat will be empty. On the third day go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand, and remain beside the stone heap. And I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on the side of you, take them. Then you are to come, for, uh, for as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. But if I say to the youth, Look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. As for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. And so David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. And the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite, and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal? either yesterday or today. And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city. My brothers, my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me go away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spirit at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that this father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field of the appointment with David and with him a little boy. And he said to his boy, Run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow before, beyond him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew this matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David arose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another. David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever.
He rose and departed and went into the city. Let's pray. God, um, I'm, I'm just reminded again that there is something at stake this morning when talking about friendship and relationships and, and the, the purpose of them. God, we need to know that the purpose of them is for your glory. And if we miss that, then we miss, oh, we miss the purpose of friendship, we miss the gospel, we miss everything. So, God, take our minds and uh, mold them according to your word and show us this morning uh, really the, the, the importance of friendship. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, there are three people, Saul, Jonathan, and David. So Saul is trying to kill David because David has killed his tens, tens of thousands and, John, and Saul has only killed thousands. And, and Saul is jealous of David. So Saul doesn't want David to be king. He wants to kill him. He wants to cut him off. But Jonathan and David are tight. They're best friends. They're, they're homies. Whatever you want to call them, right? They're, they're brothers. And if you go back to uh, 1 Samuel 18, you see this covenant between them. Um, there's this covenant between David and Jonathan, which is like, it, it, there's, there's promise involved. There's an oath taken here in this covenant. Um, and so you look at it, and uh, 1 Samuel 18, verse 1 says, now picture this too, the, the context of this is right after David kills Goliath, this happens, right? So David kills Goliath, and Jonathan sees it, says, as soon as David, right, as soon as he finished speaking to Saul, this is verse 1, so David speaks to Saul after he kills the giant, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And so there's the idea of he stripped himself of his robe, his armor, his sword. And that was, that was the sign of two Hebrew men um, going into a covenant with each other. There's, I think, ten steps within them. I'm not here to explain all those today, but that's, that's what it's signifying there. So he was giving him his royal robe. David, you're going to be king. Even though I'm the prince of this kingdom, you're going to be king. And here's my sword, and here's my armor. And he was, he was resembling uh, giving him royalty and, and his own safety, taking off his shield, his bow, his belt. That was given to David. And so there's this, this strong connection of two Hebrew men making covenant with each other. And so there's an oath there. And that whatever is Jonathan's is David's, and whatever is David's is Jonathan's. And so there's a brotherhood now. It says friendship, right? It says that Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. That's a, a key term we'll look at in a little bit. But he loved him as he loved his own soul. And so, if you're into uh, uh, sociology with friendships, right? So, I was just trying to study some of this a little bit the other day. Um, basically, with friendships in today in our age, this is one of the strangest times in history when looking at the sociology of friendships. It's incredibly um, unique and, and kind of weird. But um, basically, what we have in our day today is that it has never been easier 
for you to connect with someone else between email and the Internet and Facebook and social media. Like, it's just it's really easy. And that doesn't have to be deep. That can be really shallow. Like, it could just be me um, posting an Instagram of me going to Chili's with my potato skins and say, yeah, wish you had some, don't you? And you'd be like, dang. And so, like, that's, that's connectivity, right? And so in our day and age, it's the easiest time ever to connect with each other. But, and, and like I said, it could be useless, but it's available. But here's what sociologists are finding with that. Okay, I'll, this is a quote from an article I was reading uh, in June of 2016. It says, although we are more connected than ev- we have ever been with more people than we have ever been, despite the fact that it's easier to find people with shared common interests than it's ever been, we feel more alone and more unknown than at any time that has ever been measured in human history. That's insane. So why is that? We feel more alone, even though it's the most easiest way to be connected with people. We feel more alone, more unknown than any time that has ever been measured in human history. So something's wrong with our relationships, is it not? Like there has to be. Something's wrong with them. And so I don't want to oversimplify it, but the problem with our relationships, and the reason so few of them are are so um, unsatisfying and they're they're not long-lasting is because they're built on commonalities that change. Okay? Our relationships are built on commonalities that change. That's why they don't last long, and that's why they're not satisfying. And so people can rally around hobbies and things to, to come together with, but life has a way of taking away your hobbies, doesn't it? It, takes them, it just happens. You get older. You have kids. You, you grow right? It just takes them away. It's like, um, ah, we'll keep going. So, so Jonathan and David, right, they have uh, this commonality. Now, you could say that, okay, Jonathan and David had a commonality um, because they both were warriors, right? You read uh, 1 Samuel 14, you got Jonathan, and he kills the Philistines with just him and his armor bearer. Like, they just, hey, the Lord, I, I think the Lord can take us, whether few or many. The Lord will have us overcome this victory. That's 1 Samuel 14. And David, here, right, he comes in, he slays the giant Goliath. You can say, okay, their commonality is that they're, they're both warriors. And so that's their commonality. But that will change eventually when they get old and they can't swing a sword anymore. And so what the point is that there's more to this relationship than just that. There's more. It's Yahweh. It's the Lord. Why? Because he doesn't change. And so while other relationships are not long-lasting and unsatisfying, it's because they change. But we have a God who doesn't change. Our relationships and friendships need to be rooted in Christ because they won't separate. They won't change. Why? Because He doesn't change. we got to keep moving. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 20. And we're just going to glean from uh, this story here. So, uh, verses 1 through 4, we see 1 Samuel 20, verses 1 through 4. Oh, man, I don't know how long I have, but I'm just going to go. All right. Good. So, uh, it says, verse 1 through 4, it says, Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, Far from it, you, or far from it. 
You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, the Lord lives. Truly, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. But Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. So, what's going on here is. Um, Saul is seeking David's life. He wants to kill him. And Jonathan doesn't know it because of the chapter before where Saul says he won't kill him. He vows that to Jonathan. And so David comes in and he says, he's still trying to kill me. And Jonathan, no, he's not. No, he's not. He says, I promise you, you're, he just tried to kill me. He just threw spears at my head. And so what we see just from this passage is you can hear it almost in David's voice, right? David needs Jonathan. Like, that's the, that's the problem here is David needs Jonathan. Okay, he says, what have I done? What's going on? I need your help. Jonathan says, whatever you say, I will do for you. And so David needs Jonathan. And so I would say that is we need each other, right? That's, that's, the, that's the purpose of part of this passage is that we need each other. Just like they needed each other, we needed each other. You know, Christ is the greatest friend. We still need each other. And so we need, um, we need relationships. We need friendships. We need community. And so why do we need community? Why do we need each other? Well, it goes back to the beginning. That goes back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where God, He creates everything, and then He creates man. And He says, let us, let us, Make man in our image. The plurality of the Godhead. The triune Godhead. Three in one. Not just one. Three in one. There's community within the Godhead. He is the community. Why do we need community? Because our God is a community. And so when He creates man, it's the overflow of Himself. It's the He has perfect and eternal love and joy and relationship between each other, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's perfect. And so in that love and joy, the creation was an overflow of Himself. And so when He makes us in His image, there's a desire, there's a need for relationship, for fellowship, for each other. And so the God we worship uh, is extern- eternally existent in community. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have dwelled in perfect unity, love, and joy before and throughout time. This triune God created humanity as the chief of His creations for the display of this relationship. So we display the relationship that God has with Himself. This is why we need friendship, because God created it that way. It's the overflow of who He is. And so there's, there's something in us. We desire friendship. We desire to belong. That's why when people don't have churches, they, they, they look for anything. That's why there's groups for anything. There's, there's knitting groups out there. Like, there's the weirdest groups. There's tons of... There, I'm sorry if I offended anyone with that. But there's tons of... <laughs> I know, know my audience, right? Okay. So... <laughs> There's tons of groups, right? There's, there's workout groups, there's, there's sports groups, there's knitting groups, there's all kinds of different groups, right? <laughs> there's all kinds of groups. 
And, and it's because we desire community. We crave it. It's in our being. It's the way God created us in his image. And so even to, I was, uh, I've been teaching at Westwood's Bible class, and so I was asking the students this one question. I said, if you were stranded on an island for, um, you don't know how long you're going to be there, but you get to bring three things with you. What are you bringing? So uh, Josh is back there. We asked Josh. I think he said, like, some kind of pizza or something. That was gross. <laughs> but so we asked a bunch of them, and they all gave their answers. Um, and one of them that really stuck out to me was uh, one of the girls, she said, you know, if I think I was on an island for, for an extensive amount of time, I don't know how long I could bring three things. The first thing I would bring is a friend. Right? I thought, that's pretty good, right? She's like, I wouldn't want to, I, I would just get, I'd go crazy, like, if I didn't have someone to talk to. I'd go nuts. That would be, that would be awful. I'd get so bored. And so, th- there's this, it, within us, there's this desire for community. There's a desire for friendship. It's, it's the way God created us, in His image. In fact, I love this part, is in Genesis 2.18, man is walking with God. Adam's walking with God in the garden. No sin, perfect fellowship. And God says, it is not good for man to be alone. Think about that. It's not good for man to be alone. But there's no sin. It's not good for man to be alone. But there's nothing wrong. It's not good for man to be alone. Man was walking in the garden with God without sin in such a relationship was not ideal. This was not his purpose. It's not good for man to be alone. So if you're one of those types that just likes to, right, in the snow, you just want to sit at home all day and cuddle up in a blanket in your Snuggie with a cup of coffee and a bowl of ice cream and watch Netflix all day, the Lord is talking to you. It's not good for you to be alone. Okay, Those things aren't wrong, but, but there's a desire for fellowship because that's the way God created you. So if you're one of those introverts that's like, oh no, I just want to sit inside all day and have no interaction with the outside world, it's not good for you to be alone. It's not. God created you to have community and fellowship. And that linchpin that holds it together is Christ. It's the Gospel. It's, it's for God glorifying. It's for Christ exalting. Let's keep uh, moving in this passage. So, uh, we need, right, we need friendship. David needed Jonathan. Um, he was at a, a pivotal point in his life where it was, he, death was one step away, he said. And David needed Jonathan. But we need each other. And so, we'll keep reading here. In, uh, in verse 17 of chapter 20, we see this phrase. Um, verse 16, it says, And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. Now that, when we think of Jonathan and David, I think we think like there's this really, really tight bond here. And there is. There definitely is. But I just want to quickly say this to you, is that what's the difference between this phrase that Jonathan loved him as his own soul, and the commandment that Christ gives us to love your neighbor as yourself. Like, what's the difference? It, it doesn't. He loved him as his own soul, he loved him as himself, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. You see that? It's kind of like, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. And so don't just think, oh yeah, this is just Jonathan and David because of their covenant between two Hebrew men. No, no, no. Christ calls you to love your neighbor 
as you love your own soul, as you love yourself. Maybe that, that term, your love, as you love your own soul, is what kind of makes us think like it's deeper. No, no, that's the same thing as love him as yourself. It's the same. And so Christ is calling us to do the same with each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's not, that's not just brothers and sisters. That's the world as well around us. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. We've got to keep moving here. So chapter uh, 20, verse 23. Is this is where, this part is where the whole arrow thing where uh, David says, I think your father's going to kill me. Jonathan says, all right, if, he, if, I, if he's mad at you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to shoot the arrows. And he explains that whole thing. Because if they go beyond this rock, then you're safe. If they don't, then you gotta, then you're, you got to run. And so they're talking about this. And uh, in verse 22, he says, But if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. So if the arrows are beyond the rock, you need to leave. My father wants to kill you. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. The Lord is between you and me forever. See, the relationship, right? It's not, their commonality is not being a warrior or swinging a sword or shooting an arrow. It's the Lord. It's Yahweh. It's their God. And it's fueled by Him. The Lord is between me and you forever. And our God doesn't change. So there's a bond that's formed here because of something bigger than themselves. It was born because of their faith and their courage in their God, not in themselves. And so I just think, too, like you can have, you can have friendships based upon really stupid things, like really pointless things. You can. There's tons of them. Not knitting groups. Not that. But other things, right? You can have like just, I can't think of any on the top of my head, but they're out there. And Jonathan is friends because of their God. And notice this too. The Lord is between... The reason this friendship is, is more than just one inch deep type of surface level friendship is because it says the Lord is between you and me forever. Because our God doesn't change, our relationship doesn't change. And you know how long it lasts? Forever. You carry this into heaven with you. They don't expire. And there are no final goodbyes. The Lord is between me and you forever. Like we'll be singing together a thousand, a million years, a billion years from now, we will all be together singing to our God, worshiping Him, doing things for Him, tons of stuff for Him, right? But we'll all be together, all of us. And so with that in mind, like what do our relationships look like right now? Like, are there that one-inch type of surface level? Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Okay, see you next week. Like, is that our relationship? Or is it deeper than that? Is it more than that? See, if it, like, I, I hate, I don't know why, I hate shallow relationships. I hate cliche sayings. I hate this kind of, hey, how's your job? Good. How's your job? Good. I hate, oh, I hate that so much. Because that's not real. Like, there's no, there's nothing deep in that. I want to know more. Like, what's going on in your life? Hey, what have you been reading this week? What, what, what's, what's happened in your life? Are you going through anything? Has anything good happened? I think this is what the Bible encourages us to do, even too. 
But the, the, no relationship in this room should be shallow. Like, none of them. So you don't, don't hide your hurts. Confess them. Don't hide your sins. Confess them. That's why the, the Bible calls us to do these things. Confess your sins one to another. Bear one another's burdens. Because think about it, right? No one has ever, who has, who has deep wounds in their life, no one ever gets them healed by hiding them. Ever. No one ever gets their wounds, their past experiences that hurt them. No one ever gets them healed by hiding them. No, it's their exposure and vulnerability and transparency and confession. And we work those things out together. A few weeks ago, or months ago, I preached, and it was on the church. There's that idea of that Paul gives one another, bear with one another's burdens. Like, on and on and on, encourage one another. There's, the list goes on. I don't have it up here, so I can't say them all to you, but... The Lord is between me and you forever. That's what the relationship is based on. And you, you see too, right, just in those verses before, that their, their relationship is not, is not one inch deep. It's not surface level at all, is it? It is needed, Jonathan. I'm going to die. What do I do? I need your help. All right, I'll help you out. The Lord is between me and you forever. So let's keep going here. Um, we'll go down to verse 30. Right before it's explained that David doesn't show up to the meals at the dinner because he says he's away at his brother's clan in Bethlehem for a sacrifice, a yearly sacrifice. And, and Saul, it says that in verse 30, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse in your own shame? And to the shame of your mother's nakedness, those are fighting words, are they not? You son of a perverse woman. There's other words for that in English that we have nowadays that are not right to say. For as long as the son, verse 31, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled a spear at him. Psycho. Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him. That's his own son. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Really? Duh. Of course. He just, yeah, obviously. The most, yeah, doesn't need to be said. We, we get that. So Jonathan knew that he was determined to put David to death. So I think that there's... There's this type of picture here in this, in this part of this passage. And I think really what's happening here is with, with Jonathan, him standing up for David against his own father. I'm trying to word this right. But I think Jonathan points us to Jesus here. So I wrote, I'll just explain this. I'll, I wrote this down. So the son who set aside his standing with his father to intercede on behalf of the one under his father's wrath, teaches us about the son who set aside his standing with his father to intercede on behalf of those under his father's wrath. See that? And so Jonathan is a picture of Christ, maybe. Um, but he point, basically, he points us to Jesus here, that he set aside 
and standing with His Father to intercede on behalf of the ones under His Father's wrath. And so there we even get a beautiful kind of type of Christ, a picture of Jesus in Jonathan's love to David there. Um, if you would flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Kind of the rest of 20 we, is repetitive a little bit and we know it. So I um, just want to continue on with Jonathan and David's friendship here. So now we know that um, the end of that chapter, chapter 20, um, Saul's angry, right? He, he's kindled, his anger is kindled against Jonathan. He wants to kill him. He wants to kill David. Jonathan shoots the arrows, meets David. Uh, they know that David needs to go away and he can't be there because Saul wants to kill him. So he goes and he hides for a while. And Jonathan, and they weep and they kiss each other and they leave. And they say, the Lord is between me and you forever. That's the end of chapter 20. And so the next time that they see each other is actually here in chapter 23. And so they haven't seen each other for a while. We're going to be in verse uh, 15. Sorry, yeah, verse 15. And again, I just want to glean from this kind of last interaction between these two before Jonathan dies. And then this is the setup for Mephibosheth, whoever has that. But uh, David, verse 15, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in the God, in the Lord, or in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall, not, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. Jonathan strengthened David's hands in the Lord. He strengthened his hands in the Lord. So, I think Jonathan making covenant with David back in chapter 18, right after he slays Goliath, and then continuing now, was like a really, really, really smart move. That was just wise of Jonathan to do that. Like he saw that the Lord was with David, and he said, "I want, I'm, I'm, I love this guy. I make a covenant with this guy. I'm going to put myself around those types of people." So, do you have friends who strengthen you in the Lord, or is it just in fantasy football statistics and some cool new healthy recipe that you have? Do you have friends who strengthen you in the Lord, in our God, in Christ? So we can strengthen each other in. Tons of useless things. But is it in the Lord? And then the other question is, are you a friend who strengthens other people in the Lord? Is that you? See, I think we live in an America with a type of Christianity that people come to church to get. It's gimme, gimme, gimme. It's I have problems. I have needs. Will you cater your services and sermons to my needs? And I'm depressed, and I'm this, and I'm that. No, are you the one who strengthens someone's hands in the Lord? Are you the one who's encouraging to other people? 
I think sometimes that encouragement that we're supposed to give courage to other people is, is like the farthest thing from our minds. It's always this, yeah, give me. Taker mentality type of mindset that we have. And that's completely opposite of the gospel. So I don't, that, where do we get that? Like that's the complete opposite of the gospel. Christ came to give of himself. He emptied himself. Even Hebrews chapter 10 says it best, right? Let us consider how to stir one another up for love and good deeds. But don't you love that verse? Because it's, it's this idea of premeditation. Let us consider how to do this. So before I get to church, before I get to Bible study, let me consider how to stir that brother up in love and good deeds. Before I get there, I'm going to consider it. I'm going to think of them instead of myself. Maybe I should be the one sharing some scripture with them. Maybe I should be praying with them. Maybe I'm the one who needs to encourage someone today. But really, like, like that's, a, that's good. Like, and we need to think like that. But the only way that you're ever going to encourage anyone or strengthen someone else's hands in the Lord is if you've been with the Lord yourself. Like, if you're not with the Lord yourself, then you've got nothing to give. And so you really need to be with the Lord, dwelling with Him first before you can actually encourage and give and strengthen someone else's hands in the Lord. And so that's the, that's the picture of it, is that, man, I need God first so I can encourage someone today. So yeah, I'm going to consider how to stir one another up, but I can't consider until I'm with the one who has shown me how. And then the, the other part of this is that Jonathan strengthened his hands in the Lord. He strengthened David's hands in the Lord. But look at how, how he did it in verse 17. Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father's own son. Jonathan encourages David in the promises of God. That's how he does it. It's in, it's in God's promises that he does. It's in God's word that we encourage each other. See, if your encouragement is some kind of cliche saying, like I said, inch deep, kind of just, okay, yeah, i got to say this, it's not encouragement. See, encouragement breeds hope. Encouragement breeds hope because it's rooted in the truth. He, Jonathan encouraged David in the promises of God. So, like, what do you say to Aaron and Michelle when their dad dies? Like, what do you say? Are you, just going, are you just one of those people who says, I'm so sorry. No, you just had to say that. You didn't know what else to say. That's not encouragement. Like, no, encourage them in the Lord. Encourage them, not just, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Your dad, yeah, you've lost him temporarily, but he's in heaven with Christ, and you're going to be with him forever. We're going to see him again. We're going to worship with him forever, our great God, who has killed and destroyed death. He's put it under his feet. Death did not have any type of sting on Bill Modulesky. It didn't. Death was a doorway for him. And now he gets to worship his God forever. And we're going to see him again. That's encouragement. It's not just, oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for your loss. No, that's just inch deep. That's just surface level. Get, get that ad. Like, we don't want that. That's not God glorifying. That's not Christ exalting. 
encourage one another in the Lord, in the promises of God. The promises of God breed hope. You see that? There's hope in that. You're going to see Him again. And He's doing just fine right now. He's with His God in paradise. Yeah, we weep because we miss Him here. Absolutely. We should weep. And we should mourn with those who mourn. But there's hope in our mourning. It doesn't end here. Death is a doorway. It has no sting. So, if you're going to consider how to stir someone up to love and good deeds, and you want to encourage someone, make sure it's rooted in the promises of God. And like I said before, you need those promises yourself before you can encourage someone else. But I'm just going to go to Romans 15. I'll read it and then we'll end. I think this is like a great parallel to uh, the passage and some of the stuff we looked at today. So just read this along with me. Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. It says this, We who are strong have, ob- have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the approaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. God, I'm so thankful that you don't change. We have hope in you. We have a bond in you. We're partners in the gospel. We're partakers of grace. We're even brought near this morning because of the blood of Christ. So Lord, you're what brings us together and you're what holds us together. Lord, let us consider how to stir one another up for love and good deeds. I ask that you would do that in us this week. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.